I'm Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of human behavior. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. (laughs) And extra sirens, extra blasts, because this is the start of season five. Season (laughs) five. We did it. That's it. This is the final season. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so much to discuss in this, but wow, it has it has been a beautiful four seasons, and now we're starting it off right by getting into that flaniverse, is what I'm going to call it, because <laughs> that's what it's be. I that, love it. That is what it is becoming. So, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society today, we are talking about the 2022 horror mystery thriller Netflix original series. The Midnight Club. You're dying. It's gonna hurt. Dying? Living. It's gonna fucking hurt if you stay. You know that. It's gonna hurt so bad if you stay. It'll be so hard. Life is so fucking hard. And it'll hurt. But I'm fighting for you. Who are you? Where are you, sweetie? Woo. Yay! So much to discuss. So obviously, this is a Mike Flanagan stand account, okay? And he is, uh, sorry, this he is the director of, of this. And I want to say it was um, first a story. He took this from another story, correct? Right. It's Did a book. Okay. So this is a book. The Midnight Club is like a is a is a nineteen ninety four book um, by Christopher Pike, um, mm-hmm. and uh, this is adapted. He created it with uh, Leah Fong, and uh, he, he directed a couple of them. He wrote a couple of them. So he, his hands are. Uh, he directed the first two episodes, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he helped to write some of the episodes. So. He's obviously very involved in it, but not as involved probably as he was in, you know, Hill House, Bly Manor, um, and Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, at this point, he needs to just make a whole Midnight Universe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm into it. Midnight all around for for everyone. Totally. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So the Midnight Club, which is what we're talking about, it uh, stars a few people. Some we've seen before, some we have not. It stars Amon Benson, Igby Rigney, which I just love that name. Saying that. Oh my god, it sounds so good when you say it too. Like like (laughs) it sounds pleasing. It's fun to say. It's satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ruth Codd, Nara Simone, which we saw her in Midnight Mass, uh, William Chris Sumter, Aya Furukawa, Sorian Sepkota, and uh, Adaya. So that is the eight members of the Midnight Club. I was going to say Midnight Mass. The, the, the Midnight Mass. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's their version of church. It's their version of church in some ways. It's very yeah. fair. I mean, we'll get into kind of some of the similarities, but it was nice to see Anara kind of still in that religious uh, state from Midnight mm. Mass and coming in on in Midnight Club. So obviously heavy spoilers for Midnight Club, uh, all things. So if you have not watched it, please press pause. We'll watch all of it and then come back to us. And Jamie, what are the trigger warnings for this? Um, I mean, this series centers on folks who are, on young people specifically, who are terminally ill. Um, So there, you know, is a lot of focus on cancer and AIDS and like, you know, all kinds of uh, illnesses that lead to very limited lives. So um, I would say that's like primarily the trigger, but I mean, there's other references to substance use, um, to murder, uh, to witchcraft. Um, I don't think there's really any insides on the outside. No. Yeah, no, there's, there's not just a little blood, but not Um, head head trauma, hammerhead trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Um, suicide. Oh, yeah. mm. Um, so I think that's our, the man, there's so many stories. So I'm like trying to go through the Rolodex of stories. Apocalypse. In my brain. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Nuclear so apocalypse. Things. Nuclear video apocalypse. games. It's, you know, <laughs> pick your poison. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and there's ghosts. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's right. ghosts also, by the way. Yeah. There will always be ghosts in the Mm -hmm. Flaniverse. So before we get heavy, heavy into things, Producer Brian, do you have some words for us? I always have words for you, Nikisha and Jamie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to season five. If you want to catch up with all of the other seasons of Talking Horror, we are wherever you find podcasts. We are also on YouTube. Hi, everyone. Check Check out our YouTube channel. Um, where we do YouTube things. It's just these episodes, but you can see us. And um, <laughs> of course, you can follow us on all the social medias at Talk Horror Pod. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Find us there. We're doing some fun things on all of those. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate your listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to ask the question about what you've watched because, guys, I watched a, a, a couple of movies. Wait, really? Mm. I did. Go for uh, it. You know, because I was having an ex- existential crisis, so uh, obviously <laughs> I had to just sit and watch horror movies mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. process all that out. So I yes. ended up completing my VHS journey. Oh, I, damn. <laughs> I watched VHS 2, which might as well just be called Zombies because every story was about a freaking zombie. Right? To- yeah, totally. Crazy. And then I watched Viral, which I thought was was good. There's still not a lot of things that I heavily remember about it. But, you know, I watched it. It happened. <laughs> uh, and then I watched... Don't worry, darling. Oh, we Yeek. almost watched that last night. Yes. Okay. And and not to get into it because it's already been a whole thing, but I will just say that Florence Pugh can do no wrong in my eyes, so I will love everything that she does. There were, in my opinion, and I won't say anything because I want you guys to watch it too, I felt like there were some plot holes, but overall, I dug the concept 
you get the reveal of what's actually happening. And I think that the performances were pretty great. So I enjoyed my watch of it. I think that people should watch it and form their own opinion. Again, my only gripe would just be that there was a couple of plot holes. I wish they would have dug into some things, answered a couple more questions. But the overall thing is revealed and it's cute to watch. So if you want to watch, don't worry, darling. Yes. Rank your VHS movies like rank all the movies for us <laughs> okay so i'll i'll start i'll start from the bottom so because i don't remember it that much i'm gonna put viral at the bottom and for three uh i'm gonna put the one that we just covered uh 90 what 99 99 99 well, yeah, number uh, yeah, yeah, okay. in my rank. So because there's yeah. four of them, right? So the the bottom one is viral. My there's my five. third pick in the oh, there's five. It's VHS. Oh, then what did I miss? VHS two, VHS uh-huh. viral, VHS ninety four, and VHS ninety nine. Oh well, then I haven't watched ninety four. Okay, we'll Dang. hold off then. I'll we'll come hold back off to you. then. <laughs> yeah, let's put a pin in it. And we your your homework is to watch. Hell Ratma, watch VHS 94, and oh, then yeah. come with us, and, uh, and, and then we'll rank them. This is okay, good Got to it. know. Yeah. This is good. This is good. <laughs> I don't know why I thought 94 was the one that was coming out, but there's an 80. 85 coming is coming out? out next year. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got the, mm-hmm. my thing. So I'll come back. We'll, we'll hit it. <laughs> is your mic swinging with you? It is because I'm. It, I'm yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's on your <laughs> swivel chair. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I want one. <laughs> this is the things that you get to see when you watch us on the YouTube, yeah. guys. Just my mic swiveling with me. Brian is like, what magic witchcraft is happening? I know, right? Yeah, just floating, like no one can see anything. Yeah, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, beautiful. Okay, so let's get into the plot summary for Midnight Club because we have a lot to discuss. But instead of our two-minute plot summary format that we normally would do on the podcast for movies because this is a series, Brian is going to just give us a one-minute general summary of what happens in this uh, in this series. So, yes. What's the plot? <laughs> is Jamie going to – are you going to – Time. Yes. Beauty. So it's one minute. So one now minute. my clock is always set to two. To two. No. It's always, I'm minute. always ready. <clears throat> okay, I'm ready. Right. One minute starts now. So the Midnight Club is about these termini, termini, terminally ill <laughs> children, um, teenagers, who choose to go to basically like a hospice um, for teenagers um, with terminal illnesses. Um, and there's um, a tradition there where all of the kids meet in the library or meet somewhere secretly at midnight in the house and uh, tell stories to each other. Now, these stories reflect kind of how they're internally feeling about their their given circumstances. And then there's a whole nother kind of plot where um, there's something a little bit more um, nefarious and mischievous going on um, when it comes to like the house and the backstory of the house and uh, the woman who owns it and runs everything. And all of these teens also have these interpersonal communication um, conversations and emotions and feelings within each other, a lot of camaraderie. Um, and then it ends and we're left on a cliffhanger for season two of Midnight Mass. I mean, no, 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 Midnight Club. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's oh, easy man. to get it confused. I know. Mm-hmm. That's the plot. <laughs> huh, okay. So that's pretty good. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank it's you. It's the general gist of it. We'll get into some some general details. gist. That's it. Oh, general gist. Uh, beautiful. So let's start off with our first segment: likes and gripes. <laughs> So, Jamie, would you like to go first on your likes and gripes of this TV show? Sure. Um, Overall, I thought it was okay. Um, While we were watching it is when I learned that it's actually like a season one, um, which helped me reset expectations for like what I was going – what I thought I was going to get from – this first season because they leave you on a cliffhanger. There's a lot of things that we like don't totally know what's going on. Um, but that's okay. Cause like in theory, there's, you know, future seasons to explain all of these things. Um, but that being said, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if just having gotten used to like other Mike Flanagan shows where things are resolved, whether for good or bad, but like, loose ends are tied. It's kind of, it, it kind of felt like weird, unfinished to like leave all of these things hanging. Um, so uh, not that I'm going to knock a show for like having a season and then like wanting to have more seasons, but I, sure. I feel like it was harder. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know now. Tell me. Um, but I do need to know. So um, I think that like, you know, we're following Alanka and and all of these young people on on these different like you know journeys that they're going through, and they're trying to make sense of their situation, which is like an impossible situation to make sense of. Um, they themselves also, again, are young people, so like they're they're not like fully formed. Like you're not you're not even like who you are. You don't even your frontal cortex isn't even done. You know, growing, and you have to deal with things that like nobody should have to deal with. So like. There's so much of that, which obviously is on the forefront. So I, I feel like you have to have certain a certain expectation of what you're getting into watching a show about like young people dealing with terminal illnesses. Um, and I think that that was a big barrier for a lot of people because it's like, I don't know if I want to like take on this show that's going to be really Absolutely. sad. And you're kind of anticipating that like we're going to lose some folks. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I think that's a totally valid, I mean, we didn't, we didn't spoiler warn for, warn for grief, but like, I think you can assume given the, the topics, yeah, the themes, um, that that's going to be a core part of this. So like, I understand the, um, the hesitation for me personally. Um, I, I liked Alanka up to a point, Um, and then I kind of found her (laughs) kind of annoying and grating. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. hard because like in the first half with, um, with Anya, I think that's where we, Anya was an excellent character. She's high on my list of likes. Um, she like, even though there's like some of the tropes of like, oh, this person who's like, you know, like doesn't want to let people in, but then actually is like a big softie on the inside kind of thing. Like we've seen it mm-hmm. before, but I, I think that it actually, because it like, it's about all of these people, not like there isn't only this focus on Anya. It really helped. I, I think Brian was saying this when we were finishing it up, but like it helped us empathize more with Alanka. And then without Anya, after she passes away, Alanka is like, 
I mean, I think that she's spiraling because she's dealing with this grief and and like her, the, her own grief about like not wanting to die herself. Mm. But she makes all these decisions that like are a lot harder to swallow as an audience member. And then I found myself kind of getting bored with it, which was really disappointing because like I liked – I liked the short stories, like the the in-between stories, but I feel like the overarching story kind of was like losing steam as a result because it was harder to watch these characters like do some of these things, make some of these choices. Mm-hmm. And again, that's me saying that as someone who has no experience with terminal illness, I cannot speak to like, I don't know how I would act if I was going through this situation. And I think that's, yeah. you know, a, a huge challenge, but I... I, yeah, I loved Anya. I, I kind of liked Alanka. I really liked the adult characters, um, like Shasta, which like spoilers isn't really Shasta, um, was, I I thought she was excellent again from, uh, from Midnight Mass, like the, the big, big bad. Um, she's just excellent. So like, you know, her manipulating Alanka. Like I knew something fishy was going on, um, but I did really like the way that she played it and like playing into, um, you know, this young person that might not know any better, but also Mm -hmm. her like interest. And, and I didn't like the way she was calling her bright girl. It like made me super uncomfortable. Um, and then like in the flashback, you realize that's what she was called. Um, I, I have mixed feelings about Heather Langenkamp. You know, she's obviously a scream queen from one of my favorite slashers of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like she could have been used more. Um, Like she was in some of the other short stories. I I actually really liked how all of the characters played each other in these different stories. And then like the adults are also in some of the stories. Then we get some other adults who aren't in the rest of the show who are in some of the stories that I got super excited about. Um, So I like, I actually really liked those things, but again, that's more about like the side stories than the main overarching story. Mm. So I don't know. I feel like I'm, I've, I've lost the thread. (laughs) I'm not being specific enough because I, I feel like it's hard to like, nailed down exactly there's so much going on and again I I feel like it's harder to kind of nail it down because it's inconclusive because we don't know what's gonna happen next um so I'm kind of feeling like all over the place but overall I I kind of just thought it was okay yeah that's fair Brian do you want to go oh sure um I'll also say to add on to what Jamie was mentioning about the relationship of Alanka and Anya and how that kind of you know, affected us as an audience member. The second that Anya left the show, <clears throat> I felt that Alanka, not only everything that Jamie said, plus the fact that Alanka all of a sudden was looking down on everybody. And I think it started that way. And Anya brought her back down to earth. And when Anya was there, Anya played this role of kind of mm-hmm. like, this like the outsider, the looking down, even though it was based in the fact that like, you know, her own internal goings on. And then when she left, Alanka just felt like this, like, I'm better than all of you. I'm making the right decisions. Like what bothered me the most is this show presented Alanka as very smart. This show presents Alanka as like deeply empathetic, wildly, you know, wise beyond her years. And I don't think the show did a good enough job. I'm starting with my gripes um, and I'll Mm -hmm. end with my likes. I don't think the show did a good enough job of conveying um, 
what she's going through mentally be, to make those poor decisions. For instance, she is clearly being manipulated by this woman. And I think that I think that Alanka is smarter than that she was presented as smarter than to fall for like these weird things like, oh, why don't you bring me the book and sneak me in? Like, I, right. I just I don't believe that Alanka is a character up until that point that would actually make that decision. And I don't think they do a good enough job of showing how broken she is and how desperate she is. Um, they say how desperate she is, but I don't think they show how desperate she is until she has to make these decisions that I kind of don't believe that she would make. It felt very much like for plot purposes. Um, mm. I also don't think that she'd be, I also don't think that they showed enough of her breakdown and her like emotionally distressed to justify the fact that she would go off on um, what's his name's girlfriend. Um, and yeah. quite frankly, I will, I would have never forgiven her. Um, I know she's a teenager, but I have a hard time forgiving her for sharing that information that somebody's going home and then being yeah. selfish about it and saying that I think it's me. Like, she's this – that was a dirt move, a very selfish character move when she's been selfless the whole time. There was just – from from the moment that Anya left, like, like Jamie said, something about her character just like didn't click for me without that other force there. So I'll say that. And I think that directly relates to the fact that what Jamie said is that like the overall arcing story, the, the, that, like, that um, constant that kept us through there um, didn't really work for me in the end. Like all the ritual stuff, the like history of the house, it wasn't engaging enough at the end. However, I thought the first half of this season was excellent. It was a little slow. Don't get me wrong. And maybe that's why I didn't mm -hmm. like the end because it was slow and built to something that I didn't care about. Um, yes. But the first couple episodes, her getting showing who she is and then getting the cancer and showing her given circumstances with her foster dad and having lost a foster mother or, or whatever that situation was. And then choosing to go because she's like, this something is all drawing me here. And like, I think all of that is fascinating. And then just the, the, the 90s boy inside of me just like loved mm -hmm. the Are You Afraid of the Dark Goosebumps feel, the expectation set for this like teen mystery, like Hardy Boys or, or Nancy Drew. Some, like, I was like very into that. Like Jamie figured out immediately that it was the Dewey Decimal System that was the number. Like we were like, mm. we were like going along with That's it. Right. And, and then halfway <laughs> through it just, it lost that thread. But the like I have is I still cried in the last couple episodes because I was a, in, invested in these characters. When he's having mm -hmm. trouble – um, when he and, um, uh, oh, what's it? When Spencer and his family, like, how could he yeah. not be overwhelmed by that? The, the kindness of Zach Guilford, uh, you know, shout out Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Like as Mark, the nurse practitioner, um, Amesh and Nasuki, like, like when he ha when he can't, when, when he can't grab it anymore. And like, he says he's losing yeah. his, his eye. And then he makes that comment in the end. Like, let me look at you. Like, I just like, how could you not well up? Like. The the what they did with these people and these characters is spectacular. I don't think the show was strong enough to like support all of that. Um, so those are my um, those are my likes and my gripes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say I felt exactly the same way as as you guys did. So I'll try not to repeat what you have said, but I will just run through some of my notes that I had, and this is under. The <laughs> The assumption that I thought that this was only one season and I did yeah. not know 
until I finished it and looked it up oh. that it was going to be. So nowhere in the 10 episodes mm. did I realize that this, there was going to be another season. So Well, Nikisha, here. before you start, I just have a question yeah. for you. How mm-hmm. fast did you watch these 10 episodes? You know, I watched these 10 episodes in the span of what? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Four days. Okay. I, I only mm. ask because Jamie and I have been watching this for a month. Like we would watch like two wow. episodes, get really into it, and then like we'd get busy and like that's not the first show we want to go back to. But we prioritized mm-hmm. it over all the other October stuff because it's Flanagan. So like it just took us a while to get through it. And I think if this had yeah. been strong, like a Midnight Mass or a Hill House, like we would have we would have like we like we were fine with stopping after three episodes, you know, and, and then like yeah. sp- mm-hmm. and then starting again next week or whatever it is. So I was just curious, um, like how you like took in this content. Yeah, well, it was definitely a, I need to get through this, but I also thought that because of who was directing this, that it would be one of those moments where I would just want to sit and keep starting the the next episode and keep starting and keep starting it. But I ended up watching maybe two or three episodes, you know, each day and then finished it Mm -hmm. in the span of four days. And... I, I I will say that I loved this the scary stories more than the through line of the the narrative plot, I guess, you know, that we talk about. And it it's the the only I, I went through all the episodes and I didn't start really writing notes until the Anya episode. And that's what mm. episode five. Because sure. I agree, it is a very slow start. But I also felt that way in Bly Manor. But you get such a great payoff because of how slow it can start. And so by the time we are reaching and reaching and reaching from episode one to episode five, I feel like it reached this peak of, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. This is gorgeous. I love the representation here. And I just can't wait to see what is going to happen and how, again, how is this series going to end? Because I thought it was going to end. (laughs) So I got up to five and then just, it went very much downhill. Like if you are watching on YouTube, you can see my, uh, me trying to write a, you know, little diagram of like episode (laughs) one and it's all the way up to the peak of episode five. And then it immediately just dropped Mm. for me for the rest of the, the episodes. Um, but you know, I love, and I, and I even wrote in, in, in my notes, like the Anya episode is killing me. The therapy rant about her dead friends. I, I was weeping through that entire episode because it was gut-wrenching, the blood sacrifice, everything. It was wonderfully written, wonderfully acted. And I also wrote, I love how Flanagan has such a slow burn and then changes kind of the story's main character without warning because I was under the assumption that what was happening with Anya would be true. And I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing if we're just going to continue on with this. And, and you know, that is where we're going because it was something that is so unexpected. Uh, and I was curious to see what was going to uh, happen next. And I even put, I wasn't mm-hmm. feeling this show at first, but then that episode happened and it was like, great. And then you're thinking, okay, well, she's in a coma and she's stuck in her mind. And wow, what a beautiful depiction though of being in a coma and wrestling with your own thoughts in your mind. Mm -hmm. I thought that was beautifully um, filmed. 
And I love how Flanagan puts so much genuine love and heartfelt tenderness into what is supposed to be a horror movie show. Uh, I kind of want a hourglass tattoo, even though it has a bad meaning, but I thought it looked really good, cool, <laughs> so I put that in my notes. I also Is that going to th- be our talking horror matching tattoo? Oh my gosh. If we could just get like a Mike Flanagan matching tattoo moment, just like a tiny one, I would be, I would be down. I'm, I'm just in. saying. I'm absolutely in. But... <laughs> And I also loved the Green Day song, but I honestly thought that that was from the American Idiot album. So I was thinking, I need to look up when this came out because I felt like it was an aughts song, but it came out in 97. So this soundtrack was killer. This, this it was, was yeah. great. It was it was a really good a really good time, um, and I like Jamie said I love all of the other characters that uh, are from the Flanniverse that are in these scary stories, these uh, Midnight Club stories. But then, and I loved oh my gosh, I loved the representation of depression with Nazuki and her character with the driving and the two people mm-hmm. with her. And shout out to those actors too because I love them and all of the other uh, Mike Flanagan stuff. Yeah. But yeah, at the end I was just thinking. I want to know what's up with Julia Jane. What is up with the headmaster? Why is this ending how it is ending? And then I saw that there was going to be more seasons. So I thought, okay, because for Mike Flanagan to put something out like this and then not have it be tied up and wrapped in a, in a bow, however messy the bow is, like Jamie said, is, uh, doesn't seem characteristic of his writing style. So yeah, it was okay uh, for me overall. There was definitely peak episode moments but other than that it wasn't really my favorite and it felt like the slow burn was kind of for nothing sure but we'll see well then if i can ask you all it seems like we all really enjoyed the storytelling like within the episodes um let's go around uh what was your favorite story that somebody told in uh any episode like your favorite favorite I absolutely, and I wrote it down. The two Dana story, Anya's story, was my favorite, mm. hands down. Did you me? Yeah, I I think I was gonna say the same thing. I think that one is my favorite. I'm I'm like trying to. Right. I did also like the um, uh, the time travel nuclear apocalypse one. Mm. The mm. mesh story. Mm-hmm. Yes, my favorite was the um. My favorite by far was Natsuki's story um, with Henry mm. Thomas and Alex mm. Esso. I think they yeah. added gravitas to that. Uh, Jamie and I were wildly engaged to the screen. We were trying to guess what was happening. And then mm-hmm. something else I liked about that is that the story had a happy ending. Like she was able to get out. Yeah. And like, and then when she tells what actually happened, where this actually happened to her, she couldn't get there. She was just very lucky that somebody came and found her. And then when she went to the hospital, that's when they found the cancer. So this thing that she was trying to kill herself with ended up finding a thing that was actually going to kill her. Finally, when she like found the will to live. And that is just so devastating and sad and, 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 and a good example of how the show would take how these characters are feeling or what happened to them and kind of Mm -hmm. create a new narrative around that. I really appreciated that. Plus, man, I love Henry Thomas and Alex Esso so much. Yeah. And that that shot, you know, him being the devil on the shoulder, being like, no, don't get out of the car. Like, And, and her being the other side of it, but still nefarious. I was like, you can get yeah. out. Like, let's open the door. Why not open the door? Like, I really like that push and pull. And then when she turns around to see them in the garage and they've got that, that ghoul makeup on, um, really effective for me. Yeah. 
Ah, so good. So, so good. Okay, well, let's get into our next uh, section because Brian's already bringing it up. Mmm, brains. (laughs) Mmm, tasty. So, (laughs) the first question, and uh, will I know that Brian has some stuff to piggyback on this, but I do want to talk about how a person... Or how do you prevent your circumstances from defining your life and who you are? And I'm specifically talking about Anya in her coma dream state episode when she is uh, talking to the group therapy and saying that her disease has defined the majority of her life. So Jamie, can you just talk about how can someone try and prevent their circumstances from defining their life and, and who they are? Oh, man. What a loaded question. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's real. I think, you know, it's, I, I talk, context is key. You could probably, that could be our merch at this point. Yeah. Um, but I do, like, I feel like that's a really important piece because I, again, as someone who has not, have this experience. I feel like it's, it's, it's such a like life changing event that I think it it is going to like play a really big role in how you see yourself, especially at a really pivotal time in your life where like you are still figuring out who you are or at least who you want to be. Mm. And so like, this is so intertwined like with your life force that it's, it is like very life defining, I imagine. And, and so it's like how, yeah, like, you know, instead of, instead of focusing on that as like part of what you're experiencing, are there other things that you can fill your time with and, and like do that, you know, bring you joy or, Mm. or, because I think like thinking about what the core of like where they are um, and like what's the point of this place for them, what are they trying to do in in like being here? It's it's end of life care. It's like, you know, the idea that like they're here because they know that they are dying. Mm-hmm. And so like what is it that they can get? What's offered to them by being at Bright Cliff in order to, you know, in order to like die on their own terms I think is something that um, – that the doctor, that Heather Ligenkamp's character, like, says. Um, Like, she talks a lot about autonomy, which is also ironic given what we were talking about with Alanka earlier of, like, she takes that autonomy away um, by, like, sharing this information, which isn't hers to share, and it's fucked up. Um, But, like, that, you know, the the point of, of this place is, like, you get to you get to live out the rest of your life in in a way that like aligns with who you are. But also like if you don't fully know who you are, then like what does that then look like? Mm. Um, so I I think that's like really a non answer I gave. But again, like I think that them spending time with each other and and telling stories and um, you know like spending time with their family in the ways that like work for them, right. um, all of that. It's like they get to decide kind of like how they want this experience to be. So, you know, I think focusing on things like that also makes it less like character life defining in a way. Um, But I think it also depends on like, again, like how ill are you and are, you know, like they're all still able to 
walk around or like, you know, Anya's in a wheelchair, but like they have mobility still. Mm. Um, they still have like some autonomy. I remember uh, the the one character early on who was like in isolation who passed away. Um, yeah. Like if they, if they, Tris, I yeah, think Tristan. so. Mm-hmm. Um, that like we don't really get to meet. So it's like, you know, what, what happens when like, then you're really, really sick. And, and at that point, but I think like, while they, while they still are able to have like more autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, how do they, how do they get to lean into the things that like bring them joy make them happy and, and even like might help them figure out more of who they are, who they want to be during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, were you going to say something? Oh yeah. And then uh, just to piggyback off of both of that and something you said before, Jamie, in terms of like your frontal cortex is still like developing and they're getting this Mm -hmm. news about like how they're not going to be able to grow into the person they want to be. And, you know, does that not physically like stunt growth, but like emotionally, does that stunt growth? Because Mm. like, why, 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 just ride out your years or months, you know what I mean? Or I guess, and then how do you even... How, how can you even combat that or at least not combat that, but like how can you at the very least make sense of that while you're still figuring yourself out? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, an area that I don't specialize in, but like very much exists is like there's, there's therapy for health. There's therapy for like chronic illness. There's therapy for like folks who are dealing with cancer. Like there are therapists who do specialize in, in being able to like provide support around these very questions, because I think that like, it is a very unique experience and like having somebody to, again, everyone go to therapy, but like having somebody who can like help you process some of these questions that like, there isn't necessarily a neat, easy answer to. And, um, yeah, like, I think that's, I think that's part of it is like getting support so that you're able to kind of like talk through this, but like, it is like, and then all the emotions that come with that, the anger, the frustration, the the pain, the distress, like, and we see a lot of that play out as well. Just like how, how people are processing their own emotions, like mm-hmm. their own lives and, and deaths and like seeing others around them de- dying and like, how are they processing all of that? Um, yeah. Like, I think it's, it's so important to have a space to be able to like talk about that because like, yeah, you're, you're already like, you're already like experiencing something. It's going to have an impact on your mental health. So like, how are you, how are you dealing with that while also dealing with everything else? Yeah. I also think this show and correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, I think this show does a very good job because of the group therapy sequences and therapy is highlighted in this. I know um, I think Nikisha, you have questions about therapy um, uh, yeah. for Jamie, but I just want to say that I think this show does a really good job of showing that the storytelling is therapeutic. The therapy is mm. therapy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. <clears throat> yeah, because it is. And I think that is also piggybacking on what Jamie said about autonomy and saying this I'm, we're going to meet, we're going to do these things. We're going to do what we want to do on our own terms because of, you know, or in spite of everything else that's happening with us that we know is going to be the end for us. Like what else are we, are we trying to do that's ours, you know, that we can have kind of control over. Uh, so that is a great point of the stories being therapy as well. Cause I never thought about that in that sense, but mm-hmm. Jamie did already answer in, in that, uh, 
discussion some of the other stuff that I <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I was going to ask, especially with the, like you said, of course, if you are going or if you are diagnosed with a life threatening disease, there is going to be some type of mental health um, crisis, for lack of a better word, that comes with that. You know, even if you didn't have it before. Yeah. I mean, because I think also like a really easy way to look at it is like the experience of grief. Like you're grieving the life that you are no longer necessarily going to lead in some circumstances or grieving what you thought your life was going to be. Because I think we get that with like Alanka and like she's going to go to college and like, you know, pursue, um, what was it? Romantic literature. Yeah. I was like, did you just like reference like Bly Manor? Like, was this like a an Easter egg? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like then having to mourn, no longer getting to do that. Like now, her right. life has fundamentally changed course, and and like that's part of grief too. So mm-hmm. um, I think that there is there's like just a lot of in grappling what you're what you're dealt with, like, it's a lot of processing that, like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- we didn't even talk about, like, the faith of it all, but, like, faith coming mm-hmm. up a lot, mm-hmm. um, which, again, we know Mike Flanagan loves talking about religion. Yes. Um, <laughs> but just, yeah, like, how how some characters use their faith as, um, as like, support and, like, that's mm-hmm. something that's helping them get through this. For others, like their relationship with their faith has shifted as a result of like what they're dealing with, but also like other circumstances. So I think that's that's like another important piece to think about too is like how does how does faith play a role in um, you know, when your life is fundamentally changed or like when you're dealing with some kind of terminal illness? Like how are you thinking about, you know, dying in the afterlife? Mm-hmm. All of those things I think come up for folks, but like no, like believing in a higher power I think also provides people with comfort, um, especially as they're like close to death. So I I thought that that I, I actually really enjoyed like the way that that was integrated into the story because I feel like that's important and and it's not like nobody is going to be in that space not having some kind of like higher power that they're referencing. So I appreciate that that was a yeah. part of it too. I also and it's so interesting too because. I also enjoyed the fact that when Sandra was the one who mm-hmm. was misdiagnosed, she was never like, it's because of my faith that yeah. now I mm. am like, and she was very practical and scientific about, and it, it was a nice juxtaposition because Alanka was thinking that the magic was the thing that healed whoever it was, even if it wasn't mm-hmm. her and Sandra's. Mm who some would think is believing in magic, quote unquote, you know, with her faith. And she's the one who's saying it was a misdiagnosis. It all makes sense. This is very practical. This is very scientific. Like, and this is, these are the facts. And this is what Mm -hmm. is laid out. And it has nothing to do. And I love that it wasn't kind of like a, yay, my faith got me out of, out Mm -hmm. of this. As someone who has faith, you know, it was just nice that that wasn't her journey (laughs) Mm -hmm. after the fact. But sure. Great. But I think uh, it speaks to like growth. Yeah. Like her absolutely. like again, you know, they they're all young people whose brains aren't fully formed. So like I think being able to see the trajectory over time of like she's still 
she still was like pretty head fast in her, in her belief system. Mm -hmm. But that I think like, especially for something like this, where it's like, okay, now my life has fundamentally changed again. And, and like now grappling with like, oh, I'm not dying. Like, what does this mean now? Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that information is, is like probably just as shocking as I assume as, as finding out that you are dying. So like, you know, now all of the processing that she has to do there, um, is a lot. Yeah. Could that be, that could be considered a form of like survivor's guilt too. Yes. Yeah. I think that's part of how she was like presenting of like, I, you know, I think she was feeling really guilty and, um, and like bad and was saying how she didn't want to leave. Um, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I think she, I can only imagine again that like she feels badly that like she gets to leave and, and, you know, what does that mean for the rest of them? What does that mean with the, for these relationships that she's had, um, and now that she's not terminally ill. Yeah. And like, right. I, if I was, if, if I was in that, it's, it's a situation I cannot imagine, but if I was in that mm-hmm. situa- situation, I could potentially understand how a person like that would feel like, because they were given a second chance at life and they were spent so much time in hospice. Like I need to, I need to live the life of, for these nine other people, for these eight other people, like to take on that pressure of like, my life has to be worth something because I, because my closest friends are not going to make it past 18, 19. Like I can only imagine the weight of that when living your entire life. Or like in my brain would think I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and Mm. will Mm -hmm. this come back? Sure. So kind of trying to navigate through the wall, but also in the back of your mind thinking, what if this just comes back? Like, how do I, you know? Yeah, that shadow that was in the first half of the season, but disappeared in the second half. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, should we move on to Rotten Tomatoes? It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. Yes. Let's do Rotten Tomatoes. All right. What do you think Rotten Tomatoes gave this? Well, what Rotten Tomatoes aggregated this um, on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to say 65. All right. Jamie? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to say 68. All right. Well, uh, it's an 87%. Ooh, wow. Uh, okay. But the, but the audience score is 55%. Mm. Uh, and this says, uh, for season one at least, um, Mike Flanagan's hot streak of heartfelt horror stories continues strong in The Midnight Club, a tale of terminal teenagers told with jolts and joie de vivre. Joie de vivre. I think that's being right. too kind to this. Yes. But Well, here's a question. You know, if this is the Mike Flanagan hot streak of TV shows, how would you rank your Flanagan shows? So it's Hill House, it's Bly Manor, it's Midnight Mass, and it's Midnight Club. Don't get too confused. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think, do you want fourth to first or first to fourth? First to fourth. Fourth to first. Fourth to first, yeah. Fourth to yeah. first. <laughs> um, so I think I would have to put Midnight Club 
in my fourth place slot. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, saying that knowing that it is unfinished, uh, so mm-hmm. there's still a lot of things we don't know. But I think just generally in terms of the storytelling um, and like overall execution, it goes in my fourth place slot. Mm-hmm. For third place, I will give it to Bly Manor, um, which I also I, – I loved Bly Manor. I thought it was excellent. I loved like the romantic story in there. Um, for second, I'm going to throw it to Hill House. Um, excellent horror TV show. Very spooky. Never forget the car scene. Uh, and my number one is Midnight Mass, without a doubt. It was yeah. just so truly remarkable, like – one of the best TV shows I think I've ever seen. Your, your list is a midnight sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I would order that. I'd oh order a midnight God. sandwich. Kind of sounds spooky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my exact same my exact same list. And it just is so uh, crazy to me that Midnight Mass was nowhere near any of the Emmy Awards or anything because sure. that was just a true masterpiece. I just don't think enough people watched it. It's so good. So yeah, same mm-hmm. as Jamie. I'm, the, you, I, I'm the same too. The only like asterisk I will put is that Hill House is more rewatchable than Midnight Mass. Um, but mm, I fair. don't, that still wouldn't put it above there. But like, if I was going to go back and rewatch something, I would pick Hill House before I picked yes. any of the other ones. Because, uh, for, because, you know, Midnight Mass is just like, you have to be in the headspace and like really be there. And it's not like, you're not watching it for your ju- favorite jump scares or favorite this. Like, it's very much about the entire narrative and how it comes together. Whereas as mm-hmm. well, Hill House is like that, but you can look for ghosts. You can like be more invested in one yes. character's storyline. You can, you know, you can, you know, there's a little bit more of a rewatch quality to it because it's less, I wouldn't even say intense or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah, that, uh, same list, same mm. list. No, I agree. I actually was telling one of my friends about all of his uh, things and she's never watched any of it. And Hill House was the first one that I said, well, we need to watch this one. <laughs> of all the ones to rewatch and I will sit with you and rewatch, it's, it's that one. Mm-hmm. Fantabulous. So now should we do the four S's? Let's do the four S's. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. <laughs> okay, the four S's are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Um, skulls, scares, and shakes, we're going to rank one through ten. Skulls is how well this handles mental health and human behavior. Scares is how scary was it. And shakes, how are you going to remember it? This is a one and done situation. Um, I would also base that number on if how excited you are for season two, since now we know that this is a seasonal uh, engagement. Um, and then we'll go into suggestions. But Jamie, why don't you start us off with your four S's? Or three of them. Um, sure. Uh, that was a Z. That wasn't even an S. Um, <laughs> so for skulls, this is hard um, because there I have a, a lot of different numbers bouncing around in my head for different reasons. But I mm. think I'm actually going to give it on the higher end. I'm going to give it a seven. Um, mm. Because, again, it's like how can I, as someone who has not had this experience, truly – try to put myself in this situation and like would I potentially act in some of the ways that like some of the characters are acting and like Mm -hmm. I you know I don't really know I I really cannot say um so I'm gonna have to assume that like this is probably you know a more reasonable way to like again operate in the world 
given the, these circumstances and like still being such a young person that like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I mean, I made lots of bad decisions when I was a young person. So like, I, you know, I probably still would be. Um, yeah. so yeah, so seven for skulls, um, for scares, I think I'm going to give it a three. I'm trying to remember, like, I think some of the jump scares got me. Um, mm. but overall I feel like some of the stories weren't too, too scary. It was mostly the jump scares. Um, so I'm going to give that a three. Uh, for shakes, I think I'm going to give it a four because again, I'm, I feel like my brain's going to lose the thread because I don't know how Mm. it ends and it's just kind of going to like fall off until I get more. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't hold that, that strong in my brain. Sure. Yeah. Nikisha. Yeah, Skulls, I'm going to give it an eight because of how it was depicting a lot of the different mental illnesses. I thought it was beautiful. Scares, I give it a one. It wasn't too scary, but there was a couple jump scares that did get me. And Shakes, I'll give it a five because I will only really remember Anya's episode. Mm, so, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it an eight for Skulls as well. I think the stories especially... Um, the way that they reflect what everyone is feeling and thinking is is um, is nice. <clears throat> um, scares, I gave it a three as well. You know, that first episode holds the Guinness Book record for most jump scares in like an hour TV show or something like that. Oh, like, yeah. Um, and some of them got me. And there were some along the way, but, um, you know, not overly scary. Um, and then Shakes, I put it at a six. Um, probably only because Flanagan's name is attached to this. This is... And and some of the moments are great, but I think overall this is forgettable. And like, I, you know, I'm I'm not too interested to hear what's going to happen in season two. And I maybe I'll watch it to see, depending on how much he's involved. But I'm more excited for the fall of the House of Usher, his show next year, than I would be for anything mm. that comes back from Midnight Club. Um, but uh, yeah, let's go into suggestions. What would you suggest, uh, Nikisha? We'll start with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've already said it and are you afraid of the dark is just great. (laughs) And as far as his TV show, I, I would suggest blind manner because it's a slow burn, but a slam dunk on the ending. Mm -hmm. So if you can deal with something that is a slow burn, but the payoff is excellent, then blind manner. So those are my two suggestions. Jamie. Yeah, I mean, you have to recommend Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, that's – but I will also throw out Goosebumps for another series that had a bunch of different stories that also were scary. Shout out Mm -hmm. to that mask that didn't come off. Um, Right? That's a Goosebumps story. A haunted mask. Yeah, that's Goosebumps. Ugh. Yes. Um, (laughs) Terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I feel like – I mean, if if you want – another Flanagan show to check out. I mean, truly watch all of them. Like really not enough people watch midnight mass and it's, it was excellent. So if you need another recommendation, do it, do it now, do Do it it, or else. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with another teen, like spooky thing is eerie Indiana. Um, Mm. And then I'll just, I guess I'll just, uh, suggest hill house the other one that we didn't say um (laughs) but uh yeah but if you're going like if you're going more teen something like that i'd go eerie indiana um oh something something i also wanted to say is i loved all the little easter eggs in this like the um the short story with um 
what's when Spencer's telling the story of like Rel and like the videotape, um, there's all those time travel movies on his wall. And then like they're, mm-hmm. they, everybody's always reading a different Stephen King book throughout this whole thing. Like I loved all the like mm-hmm. spooky stuff or like, you know, 90s pop culture references like sewn into everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, cool beans. Gotta love the 90s. Cool beans. What a time to be alive. Beautiful. <laughs> well, I think that wraps up our episode of the Midnight Club. You can follow us on all the social medias, especially the TikToks, where we're just Woo! blooming over there at blooming. Talk Horror Pod, P O D, blooming. <laughs> like Bloomin' uh, Onion. Yes. Yeah. And Brian, where can they listen to us? Yeah, you can listen to us where <laughs> Bloomin' Onion, uh, any, any, um, any place that sells a Bloomin' Onion. Um, um, uh, uh, why could wait? Where, where, why can't I think of the, why can't I think of the, the place that sells the lemon onion? The steakhouse. Outback? Outback Steakhouse. Oh, Chili's. Thank you. Oh, okay. Oh, Chili's may have one too. But I'm thinking of the yeah. one from Outback. Anyway, um, where you can also find us on things like Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, rate and review us there. Five stars. Oh, five stars, please. And thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well, I guess the only way we can sign off is that the Green Day song. So can you play, um, what is it, Time of Your Life? Yeah, I can put Time of Your Life. I've had <laughs> the time of my life. But not that oh. one. I, oh, I that's the Green that's Day the song? Green Day oh, that's the Green Day version? <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. That's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.